Hi, Lisa. Is this seat taken? No, no, it's all yours. I didn't see you yesterday at the graduation barbecue. No, I was sorry to miss it. I had a job interview and didn't get back till late. Oh, cool. I guess with your grades, the IT firms must be all over you. Dunno, maybe, but I haven't spoken to many IT firms so far. OK, let me guess. One of the big Silicon Valley tech companies or a fancy online retailer? I was looking for something more purposeful. I was at Southern Germany's biggest energy cooperative. Why is such a company on the top of the list for an IT crack like you? Ever heard of the super smart grid? Oh, I know smart grid. My parents have solar panels on their roof and a storage battery in the basement. Well, right now, the energy cooperative is building a huge network made up of many small electricity producers and consumers. It involves all sorts, like wind power, hydropower, smart buildings, concentrated solar power, local combined heating, power plants and even electric vehicle batteries. Doesn't sound that new. Yeah, but customers are getting involved too, through taking a financial stake by investing in local energy projects, but also by committing to smart ways of running their electrical appliances to minimise their costs. That also gives the grid operator a better way to balance electricity generation and consumption, even in times of little renewable infeed. And what's that good for? The aim is to develop algorithms that can find the perfect balance between demand and supply. For instance, you can create incentives for people to consume electricity when a lot of it is being generated. It's about networking everything and defining the rules for making it all work. Uh, I never thought about it like that. Perhaps I'd quite enjoy something along those lines too. Uh, I'd probably have to adjust my algorithms, though. <laughs> <laughs> what you've listened to is our utopia, the best case scenario, so to say. A potential future world full of collaboration across the energy sector. In all our podcast episodes, we will kick off with a short introduction to set the scene on what a bright future could look like. And then we dive into a discussion on how to get there. Welcome to Decoding the Future of Energy, the podcast by Siemens Grid Software. My name is Gerard Reed. I work in the finance industry with a focus on both the energy transition and the digital energy revolution. As your podcast host, I want to explore a range of options on how we can develop a more or even fully sustainable energy world. Today's episode is all about collaboration and why it is so important for the present and future of the energy system. I had the chance to speak with two great people whose collaboration was recently formalized through a new partnership. The first is Jack Dangermund, founder and president of Esri. Esri produces geo-information system software and is well known, among other things, for its collaboration with John Hopkins University on the COVID-19 map. Our second guest is Peter Goethe, the Chief Technology and Strategy Officer at Siemens. So Peter, Jack, really great to have you guys uh, on the show. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, it's a great pleasure being here with you today. Well, listen, may I just kick off with a sort of general question in and around collaboration? Because we're going to talk about collaboration and its importance in the, in the whole energy area. But I'd like to just hear from your personal experience how important collaboration is. And may, maybe, listen, I'll start with you, Jack, on it. 
Well, philosophically, there was an old saying that uh, was in the tech industry. It was collaboration happens at the speed of trust. And I always liked that because, uh, of course, we make technology collaboration. We make business collaboration uh, and interpersonal collaboration. And Peter, your thoughts? Let me add another phrase to this. Uh, and that goes, uh, nobody's perfect, but a team can be, <laughs> right? And uh, usually I've seen those organizations really thrive that not necessarily have the best IP or have any the best one talent, but that really work together as a team. Can I, can I ask you then, just moving to energy, what I find very interesting about the energy space, and in particular the area of electricity, is it's all based on trust. So if I look in the European perspective, all our grids are connected together. And what that means is a problem in Norway also is felt in Germany, and the German problem is felt in Portugal, right? So the trust is incredible in, in, in this system. And Peter, look, I'd love to see it from your perspective being, you know, you guys have been the kings of, if you like to say, electricity equipment for 100 years, right? So, so obviously people trust you, right? They do. And and you know what? The, the thing about trust is you have to earn it over a long period of time. Uh, trust doesn't come just by over tomorrow, overnight. You really have to earn it every single day. So we tend to think about trust as a thing that that is called credibility. In other words, you really need to have sound, good technology. And you have to add reliability, that you actually have really good technology, not only that works once, but that continues to work. And then you have that intimacy to customers that really you understand well and that you interact on a daily basis. And that you do over a long period of time. Yeah, I like that very much, Peter. You know, at the same time, things are changing really rapidly. What we used to talk about just six years ago as a kind of a dream uh, of, you know, distributed energy generation coming into the grid, this idea of solar and wind and uh, personal collectors. Uh, and at the same time, you know, electric cars are, are changing the whole face of the situation and our customers are having to deal with this challenge. And they, you know, our, our field is really geospatial. People would think of it as mapping, but it's really modeling the geospatial stuff in the, in the grid. And the, uh, the word that comes to my mind just off the top of my head is interoperability. This is why I, lo I love this partnership uh, with your you know, whole elect electricity understanding, the grid, the grid, all the technology, optimizing the grid, et cetera. And that, that, that means working together. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jake. And, and let me let me add to this because you mentioned that uh, there's so many changes happening in the world, and and we firmly believe that no company can do this alone. So you have to collaborate, and so this is where trust really comes in. Because here's the thing: that when we look around us, then we believe that there's a seven times increase of the decentralized energy resources coming up. And if you, you mentioned a few things already, so of course the the general the generation, but then also in terms of the, the energy that is being consumed, and uh, in particular also as you can imagine right now what's happening in Europe, 
we get many questions about how can we accelerate the energy transition? How can we faster move to electric vehicles? How can we increase or how can we ensure that with the emergence of also um, uh, of heat pumps and the prevalence of it? Because many, many private households, they have been converting to gas. Now they're moving away to, from gas to, to obviously heat pumps. And so now that requires an additional energy and so on. So, so many are coming and saying, how can we do this? Because we trust you you and your partners, of course, in order to help us to find solutions in a very rapidly changing environment. So you're absolutely right. If I'm saying 175 years, that's only because we've been around. But that's not to say that you have to adapt all the time. And as a matter of fact, right now, is it such a time that you have to rapidly change? I'd like to ask you both a question with regards to trust. And that is, if, if I look just as that I observe what's going on and the, the changes that are going on in the energy space and the wider technology area, what you're seeing is there was people that you used to compete with in the past, suddenly you have to cooperate with them. And then it might mean that you have to compete with them again. How do you build trust and keep trust in that type of environment? For sure. Um, so what you're alluding to is exactly a phenomenon that we see all the time, in particular when we talk about digital solutions, right? Because uh, where, where data is being shared very often in these ecosystems, uh, then you have the gray line between, uh, of course, where do you compete and where do you really share? Instead of fighting for market shares, quite frankly, everything that's happening in our industry is really vastly expanding the market. So, so if you think about adding all the different standards together, then it comes down to how we, we share the data. And, and Jack, you spoke about interoperability. Interoperability requires you to be courageous in a way that you open up your APIs, you open up your semantics, your ontologies, so that others can build things on top. So do you consider them now as a competitor? I would think so. I would think that that additional applications uh, that are being built on is just a good way of complementing each other. And this is precisely us, by the way, also from a technology perspective, doing the same thing, Jack, as, as you did at Esri. Uh, we, we coming from a heavy SCADA-based, system-based architecture, now moving all the way into the cloud with our latest with software solution. And uh, we find that that still customers prefer the old way, but we find in particular the younger ones, but also those that really have to change, they are embracing that that way forward. So openness, in other words, is the only way of doing it. If you compete or not, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, in the technology area, there's three kinds of companies. I think of them as a triangle. And there's core technology companies that build best of breed in their field. There's solution companies who build solutions on top of core. And then there's system integration companies that sort of bring core and these solutions together. Uh, and you can only actually be one of these kind of companies. I, I like your analogy, uh, Jack, of, of the triangle. We, we tend to think in, in similar ways in terms of infrastructure providers, product providers, and implementers. But put shortly is, or, or in short, is um, brick and mortars. And, and what we think is, um, we, we believe in the value of the bricks and, and we really want to squeeze out the mortar in the way that, that these bricks really fit together. Uh, there's a term, and you know it quite well, Peter, a digital twin. It's floated around, you know, quite 
uh, carelessly in a way these days. It came out of manufacturing in Michigan where digital twins of cars and aircraft were really pioneered with uh, these sort of 3D CAD systems. But today, the the concept of creating a digital twin of a whole uh, utility company is uh, becoming popular. You have a dashboard of the digital twin and everything that moves and changes uh, outages to new construction are represented in this digital twin model. This requires fundamentally data modeling and some of it is spatial data modeling. That's where I come in and some of it is electrical uh, modeling and management modeling. So can I ask you, and Jack, I'll ask you, but I'm also asking you, Peter, as well. It's very interesting you bring up the the phrase digital twin. I want to ask you from a customer perspective, what does that all mean for the customer, right? So you've got all this data, you've got these digital twins. You know, what's the benefit for me? So when I bought uh, my first SAP system, Esri was actually uh, just a $100 million company. But it took us many hours to deliver our order. We operate the company at the speed of light. uh, And that um, what SAP really taught me is the idea of All the different functions of the company can do transactions. So my company runs much faster. I mean, as a, we're now a couple billion dollars in size, but we don't really have many more in the accounting department than we had uh, way back then. So we've been able to expand because we leverage the power of digital uh, and digital modeling. When I first went to Dong Energy, uh, I had the opportunity to meet the, with the president up there in Denmark at the time, and he had this model uh, as well. It was just a, uh, he wanted his whole company to operate. He wanted to be able to have views of the digital twin that showed him operations and in real time where all his people were, what the, or the grid, how the grid was behaving, where there was outages. He wanted his customer service people to be transactionally updating uh, and responding to situations um, I think he had 11 different departments that had views into uh, the digital twin at that time uh, that ran the company. And that that's kind of, uh, that was kind of awkward at the time because we had to wire everything together. Uh, and Peter, your thoughts? Uh, we actually even, even extend that to the idea of as we make the grid more intelligent, <clears throat> a lot of hardware that becomes much more software-defined hardware, so such that you really have the ability to do an upgrade uh, over time so that you expand the capabilities of it because simply because of the different innovation cycles, right? So because the hardware, of course, is built into the, the infrastructure, but then, of course, software is continuously being updated. So we see that all the time. Let me add to your point of efficiency two more things. Uh, one is reliability. And the other one is actually speed. Uh, and both go hand in hand. So, so we've been working with with a Nordic um, grid provider uh, where we were really able to increase the the reliability because you spoke about trust. And this is what what grid providers are all about: trusting that there will be energy uh, delivered to your doorstep. Uh, and so uh, we were able to increase it to an extent that the grid operator deemed never possible. But the point, though, is is the way we did this is by being able to respond so quickly and to do all the simulations 
that uh, we did uh, increase that by an order of magnitude, uh, which they thought was not possible. And if you think about many of the grid operators today, they still have paper copies of plans of what, what they have and where their assets are, if you really think about this. And that's still reality and, uh, and with all the software. Now, yet again, it's very important that interoperability comes into play. Because if you think about it, uh, we tend to th- differentiate between IT and OT. In other words, uh, what you mentioned with ERP system or SAP implementing it. Of course, that's just the IT side. But what we see that the software is coming down now in the operations side um, and with edge computing and everything that is arising, the intelligence is going actually decentralized and also being able to connect it through whatever meshes or whatever you have in order the means of, of, um, of communication. Um, eventually, you have a much, much higher transparency into the grid, deeply into it than we had in the past. So the IT and OT is really what we define a little bit of a, a convergence uh, of the two things are coming together. Uh, and that is an exciting opportunity. One of the things that strikes me when I talk about, when I, when I hear the word collaboration in the energy space is, I call it provocatively, the lack of collaboration with the end customer. Because the end customer up to now has been treated like a number. He's delivered it as electricity and that's it. And going forward, you've got that energy customer who is actually probably a producer of electricity and he's going to use it in a different way, which means the relationship to that customer has to change, which means the, late, the nature of collaboration needs to change because you need to get, you need his data if you really want to go and fulfill the dreams that you guys have. I mean, am I seeing this wrong or how do you see it? And Peter, I'm looking at you firstly, maybe just to, to take that up and, and answer it. And then, you know, maybe Jack can jump in. No, Gerard, you're spot on, and this is precisely what's happening. Uh, so, so, of course, the first step has been taking with smart meters so that we, at least we get a little bit more transparency. What really has changed the game is is now that, as I said, the, the prosumer, in a way, some producer and consumer, uh, is, is really not just making unidirectional, but make, make it a bidirectional thing. And, and so, um, it's very interesting. We, we see the emergence of, of microgrids. For example, we are building a microgrid in the middle of, of Brooklyn, uh, in New York, where you would think that actually, you know, there's enough power in that sense. But no, uh, by, by the means of technology, uh, and partnerships yet again, uh, and, and using blockchain and as intermediaries for a decentralized, uh, orchestrate, well, orchestration is the wrong word, a coordination between different, different consumers and, and producers. I'm living here in California. We have many fires burning actually across the whole West Coast of the United States right now. There's fire agencies and uh, organizations like Edison and PG&E, big utilities here in the country, are facing the challenges of, of wildfire uh, and These are data sets that are outside of their traditional transaction updating of the grid, their digital twin. They live in a broader digital twin. The world is becoming a digital twin. Uh, And these agencies, my customers are building data sets about land records, cadaster. They're building data sets about fire and spread, about water utilities, about uh, policing, about uh, climate change, about science. These are all layers of information. So we need to also consider, I think any modern utility has to consider being able to read in 
services like map services from these other organizations. And while it's risky and for certain kinds of data, share data out uh, as services. Like uh, in California, I'll simply say the Office of Emergency Management here and PG&E built a relationship where they their map services were shared back and forth so that they could you could take care of each other. You know, the great dilemma of our time is the lack of understanding and also our inability to collaborate. And they're interrelated. So in my field, what's emerging is maps are becoming a kind of common language that people can not only understand each other, but also collaborate. Jack, I, I love what you're saying. The reason I love what you're saying, and there's two words you keep using. One is collaboration, and the other word is understanding. Understanding is the question I asked about the consumers. I was really asking that because if I look at the consumers when it comes to energy, the consumers just don't understand it. Yes. And this has many implications. But one of the big implications actually is on the recruitment side, I think. And the reason I say that if I look at Right across the energy world, whether you you know there's a lack of installers, there's a lack of engineers, there's a lack of science guys, right across the energy value chain is that. And I suppose, I think my reflection is I think that's because of lack of understanding by the general public in this. I want to know if you agree with me. And then if that's the case, then how do we deal with this going forward, right? Because it's a, you could also argue it's a huge opportunity. And there is this power of purpose in and around the energy transition, right? Probably you looked at a map of COVID in the last couple of years. We built the mother of all of those data sets at John Hopkins. Uh, it was the you know worldwide map of the spread of COVID. You could check. That map has been looked at about 1.5 trillion times. And we still are getting, feeding it about uh, several, two or three billion times a day. It's not just the map of the world, but it's spun off. So it's one massive system that has created, I would, assert, I would assert that that map created understanding, changed the whole world's understanding of COVID and how it was affecting them. So this visualization language, we're now working with the, uh, the White House here in the United States. We just released last week a new website uh, that is all about trying to do the same thing with climate, drought, flooding, fire, heat and coastal zone, uh, uh, you know, sea level rise, educating, educating and getting people to understand what the hell is going on so that we can raise the bar to the same level of understanding like we did with COVID. And you know, Jake, um, I, I have to confess that uh, it's such a great thing to be with here today because um, for for many, many weeks, if not months or a year, uh, the Johns Hopkins application that, that you described was my daily companion. <laughs> I looked at it in the morning, in the afternoon. Of course, we all used it in order to see how are things going here and there and compare and, and what have you. Uh, so for sure, um, you really uh, changed the way we actually perceive the world. Now, let me build on what you're saying. And, and it's very interesting because as, at Siemens, as you know, we're also in, in many different fields. Uh, and, um, and the two that are usually attracting most talents are the ones that have the biggest purpose. And that is one in healthcare and the other one is or was linked to renewable energies. Now, if I, I take the second one, uh, uh, which is a little bit, um, let's say, in the, in the larger context, um, 
most people today are really fascinated by improving this planet by means of electric charging, electric vehicles, and, and what have you. And uh, and they're coming to us because they say, I want to be part of this and I want to enable this. So this is what we call technology with purpose. And uh, if you think about also our partnership with, with Esri, Esri can tell, uh, let's say, an EV charging company to say where they should put their charger on the map, right? Because this is exactly it, the power of the language of, of geography. I like that a lot. So if you think about also students and, 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 and you know, talents coming uh, and, and using their their lifetime, really their lifetime in order to do something good. This is what usually resonates very well with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, frightened about the future in some ways because I know what's occurring. And both of you from your own lens have your own perspectives on it, but I think there's very little time left. We've got to muscle down, put every bit of our science, every bit of our technology, every bit of our creative design thinking onto going carbon neutral because it's we've sort of overstepped our our welcome on this planet and uh, we got to go all in on it you know this uh, cop meeting that happened up in uh, Scotland last year was interesting I don't know if you've got a chance to go to it Peter but uh, all these venture capitalists came and they sort of watched this stuff and they controlled you know trillions of dollars of investment also uh, a number of government leaders like my president's people and and yours, prime ministers and so, they all went there. They're all now looking at trillion-dollar investments. And the fundamental question is, where do they put their money? <laughs> so the science of the science of geography, the science of where, is all about overlaying this information to pick the right where to locate wind where to locate solar, where to conserve biodiversity areas, what areas are our, you know, our, our carbon sinks, where can we plant a trillion trees, where can, where, where can we locate um, you know, charging stations, where can we route transmission lines. It's the science of geography on steroids. It's about bringing all of our collective society's collective information to integrate uh, and overlay, uh, that's what I call the, 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 the geographic approach to managing a utility, managing it efficiently, managing it uh, with, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's the big thing where. <laughs> and all, all, all activities be, suddenly become seen in, through a different lens. Uh, I, I know I'm biased, in, and I apologize for ranting about this, but you just stroke my thinking. Jack, what gives me hope is the fact that we've never had so many brilliant people across the world competing and collaborating with each other to find solutions. And so I'm, I'm listening to the two of you guys and your collaboration, and I think, how did you guys even end up collaborating together? Because you come from completely different worlds, but you are. And that's, that's what gives me hope. I think uh, what you're sort of suggesting, Gerard, is that uh, little by little, uh, people are going to see we don't have enough time to screw around with, uh, you know, competition. I don't have that much time left in my life. I want to get on with it and see if there's something that we can really do. And I think you're right. We got to move and uh, let's start stop horsing around with, uh, you know, those competitive games and get on with it. 
because it's, the stakes are really, really big. We're, we're living way beyond our means. Uh, it's sort of like we're, we're spending bank loans on the future uh, with respect to our natural environment, and it, it won't take it. I mean, you know, there's this old joke, uh, two planets get together, one is Earth and one is some other planet, and this other planet says, you know, God, you look really bad. What's, what's wrong with you? And the other, the earth planet says, well, I got, you know, I got uh, homo sapien. <laughs> and, and, uh, and the, and the first planet says, well, don't worry about it. It'll pass. <laughs> I mean, uh, the sort of Anthropocene human footprint dominating nature has gotten, uh, I mean, all of our technical innovation has really allowed us to grow population beyond the means of self uh, sufficiency or uh, support. And the carbon thing is really at the axis of it. So I, I just want to get everybody excited about working on this, Gerard, just like you said, because I think uh, it's a great mission. It gets everybody excited. It stops the bullshit and allows us to make some progress. And this is, this is all we've got left in life. Peter, anything to add? Wow. Wow. I, I think, uh, that's, that's tough, uh, to, to, to build on the Jack's perspective. <laughs> so if we had a magic wand and just, just change it overnight, I think we could change it overnight. We did it. We helped uh, the island, the big, big island in Hawaii to go a hundred percent renewable energy. Uh, that wasn't easy. By the way, we built a digital twin of the entire grid in order to facilitate the move over to more of a, a inverter-based because in, in essence, you need to have inverters because it's direct current to alternative currents. So anyway, but but you have to build digital twins to accommodate that, but it can be done. We've done it in small islands like the Galapagos Islands. We've done that on Hawaii Island, which is good. That's about 500 megawatts. We can do this, we think now, for even bigger islands such as England. And there's nothing that can st or should stop us in order to make this work even for, for, for larger continents. So the technology, this is what I'm trying to express, the technology is there. We have to apply it and we have to um, do it quickly to Jacket's point. And uh, the energy transition is the key. First of all, Peter and Jack, let me say thank you very much for your time, thoughts, experience and visions regarding collaboration in the energy sector. For me, the major takeaway is not only that collaboration is about trust, which needs to be earned every single day, it is also that collaboration is a fundamental element of an ever-changing and probably even faster changing world. Not only collaboration within a company or within partners, but collaboration with the consumers, the current or future prosumers as well. And also collaboration with companies that may have been or even still are competitors. Openness is a key here, as Peter said. Jack also mentioned the digital twin and data modeling, which also come into play when looking at collaboration within the energy sector. Having a shared database can thus highly increase collaboration. By the way, we also mentioned speed in this episode. An absolute interesting topic, which we will cover in a later episode, so make sure you follow this podcast. If you would like to learn more about everything we've talked about today, I can recommend a visit to the Siemens Grid software website. 
at siemens.com backslash grid hyphen software, as well as the Siemens Smart Infrastructure LinkedIn and Twitter channels. You'll find all the links in the podcast description. If you have any questions concerning the topics discussed in today's episode, feel free to email us at grid.software.si at siemens.com. Thank you.